Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the program, you could always contact me on any of the contact links. And I would prefer you call the listener hotline, the number 303-832-0217. That number also in the description of this fine show. So I'm going to be heading out of town here at the end of the week, enjoying some Weston Weewaxation, as Elmer J. Fudd would say from the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Anybody remember those? Anyone? Bueller? Well, as you know, I like traveling. And and I actually like the process of traveling. I see it almost as a game of survivor. <laughs> Can I make it to the airport on time? How did I do uh, on my back timing to uh, figure out if, if I get to the airport and I can park and I can get on the shuttle bus and I make it to the gate? <laughs> you know, how, how well did I did with, uh, with, with, with the perfect amount of time? Um, can, I, can I find a parking spot and get on the shuttle okay? Uh, what's the check-in going to be like? How long are those lines going to be uh, for check-in and, and, and at security? Um, how's it going to be using the TSA pre-check for the first time? Yeah, I, I hope that goes well. I actually have now signed up for TSA pre-check. Uh, a funny aside about this, I signed up for the pre uh, the TSA pre-check because as a family, uh, my two kids and my wife and I, we fly enough that it might make a difference for us. We really don't have enough uh, flying uh, scheduled trips uh, you know, during a year to, to, I don't know, we're right on the edge. It's not like we're business travelers and going all the time and we're, yep, TSA pre-check is the way to go. Um, but I, I think it's going to be, uh, well, at least I hope it's going to be, uh, we're going to fly enough and it's going to be helpful enough to make a difference for us. And, and so we won't have to wait or at least be a hostage to security lines, especially long ones, in the future, we've been to airports where security lines, not only at Denver, I mean, it, it. there was one in Orlando where the line went down the hall and almost out the door and into the next county. It was ridiculous. Um, so hopefully having TSA pre-check will uh, alleviate some of that stress. Hopefully. You know, it, well, it's good for five years. Uh, my credit card covered the cost of my $80 fee. It didn't cover the cost of the rest of my family's fees, um, but but I think it's worth it. It's good for five years, and I don't usually travel alone. My wife and kids come with me, so so I yeah I'm gonna sign them up for the same pre check as I have too, right? I'm not just gonna you know, hello. I'm gonna go in the pre check, and you two can just you three can go in with all the regular people, the serfs, if you will. And I know you can bring kids. Uh, if you have two adults and then the kids can usually get along, but I wanted to have everybody have their own pre-check, no issues, just here's our known traveler number and boom, we're all there. So, all right. So when you go through the process on the TSA website, uh, to get signed up, you do that, you fill out some information, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I did that for everyone in the family. And then you have to set an appointment time to go to some place so they can check out and, and and verify that you are who you say you are. And then they take your fingerprints. And so the uh, federal government could check you out, make sure that you're not some criminal psychopath and that it would be okay for you to go to the TSA pre-check, right? Um, 
And so I made the appointment for, for me and my wife because I could make them back to back. Basically, it was like 10 minute time. So I, I picked, uh, I don't know, 11.20 and, and she was 11.30. But the other ones, all the other ones that they, they brought up for my kids were at way different times. So they also have the option to, uh, you could just be a walk-in, right? So I, I let the kids be walk-ins and they were just going to go with my wife and I because we had 20 minutes and that was fine. And we were just going to, boom, go in all at the same time, get it all done at the same time. All right. So the day comes, we go to the place over in East Denver. It's called Ident-O-Go. And Jake doesn't really describe it all that well, but it also kind of describes it pretty well. So we go over on the east side of Denver to Ident-O-Go. And I go up to, you know, go through the door, go at this little window, a little waiting area. And we go up to the, the window where we're supposed to be checking in. And I, I say, hey, we're here for our TSA, TSA appointment. Then this guy uh, snaps and he's looking at us and he goes, how old's the kid? And I said, well, my daughters are 13 and 10. He snaps at me and says, the little one can't do it. I, I, I said, uh, what? He goes, yeah, she's too young. I say, well, I, um, I, I did sign her up. Uh, through the TSA website, her her name went through, her information went through, and it seems just fine. They they, they have a, a number and everything. It should be there in, in your records. He says, the machine won't take her, so um, should you just go with you when you guys go to the airport? So it's not going to work on the on the machine. Um, don't worry about it. When you get back there, you just leave her out. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. And, you know, me me being me, uh, I'm I'm not taking his word for it. Well, uh, a few minutes later, a nice young girl calls us back to the screening area. And basically, the screening area is just this room with a couple of chairs and a and and on the on the wall is this big white board. Um, and at this point, I'm I'm naturally fairly bugged. So I asked this this girl, but I was polite because she didn't know my interaction with this other doofus. So I asked her if my daughter is too young to get the pre-check. This woman says, "Well, Let's try. <laughs> there you go. That's that's all I was looking for. So we get her info into the, the uh, computer. Really, it's just an iPad that you're putting your uh, passport. We had to bring a passport. You bring the passport. Uh, she scans the passport into this iPad thing, uh, set, puts in some other contact information, uh, takes our fingerprints on the iPad. My wife had a heck of a time with that. She could. It's like she doesn't have fingerprints. I think she either worked for the CIA or something or had them all burned off. Uh, because she doesn't have any fingerprints, um, but uh, all, so so jo- Jolene, my ten-year-old, uh, put the fingerprints down. They took a picture of her. Everything was fine. Boom, paid her the eighty-five dollars, and it sent off. There you go. It worked just fine. No problem. I, I at that point wanted to run back to the front to stick it to that dumb guy and tell him that it was good for the. He had no idea what he was talking about, but I didn't. I didn't think, uh, first of all, I didn't think my wife, she would probably have held me back and, and kept me from doing that. Probably wouldn't have been a good idea for uh, for me uh, doing what I do uh, to assault somebody over my daughter's TSA pre-check. Well, anyway, we all went through the same process, contact info, the fingerprints, the the. the passport, the pictures, the fee, no issues. All of us, boom, 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 boom. My wife and I, uh, then a couple days later, like maybe four days later, we received our known traveler number, uh, from the TSA. It was, I thought, Hey, this is, this is pretty good worked, but I didn't see anything for the kids. 
and I was I was checking online, like every week, checking and checking and checking. Nothing after about five weeks. So they have a phone number, and I said, well, th- this is going to be a futile effort, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. So I called the phone number on the TSA uh, pre-check thing, and I actually got through to somebody, and this guy said, all right, what's what's their name, and what's the little number you had? And I said, I gave it to him, and he said, yep, she's got uh, your daughter there has, uh, has a TSA known traveler number. Oh, great. What is it? And so I wrote it down. And then uh, I said, well, could you check my other daughter? Sure. Oh, she's got one too. Boom. And I'm writing it down. But my problem is one of the characters is a Z or a two. I'm not exactly quite sure because when I was writing it down on my piece of paper, I, I, I think I made it as a Z or maybe I drew it as a two and it's a Z or it's a or I wrote it as a Z and it's a two. I, I, I don't know. So I guess we'll find out when I get to the airport. <laughs> well, I, I hope I wrote down the right one. <laughs> because why do they do that? Well, they should make them in different characters, right? I mean, you're not going to confuse a one uh, w- with the with the letter X, right? You're not. So why not? anyway, uh, by the way, last week, uh, before the State of the Union address, One of our reporters, Jason Grenauer, interviewed Pete Buttigieg. Uh, He's the U.S. Transportation Secretary, and he and and Jason was asking uh, the the secretary about the State of the Union speech. And and what he was doing is is interviewing uh, Mayor Pete before the the speech, so they could have reaction on the evening show after the speech had already happened. So they were doing the the interview before the speech, but they were going to play it later. Anyhow, I'm telling you this because I asked Jason to ask Pete about the mask requirement on planes and if it will be allowed to expire on March 18th. That's when it is supposed to expire. That's the last day of the mandate. I believe it's all the way through the day or maybe it's the 7th, but it's right there. I think it's March 18th. And this is how that uh, that uh, that question went. And finally, and quickly, you mentioned DIA, the airport, on a separate but timely topic, the federal mask mandate for airlines set to expire March 18th. What's going to happen there? You know, we're going to continue to be following the science uh, TSA, which uh, uh, ultimately enforces those those mask directives, is going to be looking at uh, guidance from CDC. Uh, We're seeing some easing of restrictions in uh, a lot of uh, ordinary scenarios that, that we go about in, uh, for example, offices and, and other things. But it does depend on the community, depends on the context, and uh, we, we've got to make sure we're, we're doing the right thing. I will say, you know, uh, I will be as happy as anybody when we're able to uh, put some of these uh, uh, guide, guidelines and restrictions in the past. Uh, but it has to be done in a responsible way, and it uh, has to be done when it's the right time. I think that's my time, Mr. Secretary. Did you notice there the nearly perfect politician talk around an answer without ever answering the question. Yay! <laughs> it's, it was astounding. He never answered the question. He, he said he didn't like the, the mandate, but didn't answer the question if they're going to lift the mask mandate on airplanes. They did lift the mandate from school buses were uh, at my local school district and other public transportation. So why not have they done that for planes yet? Why not has there been an announcement? It, it, the, the skeptic in me is, is screaming saying, what, what is he not saying in his non-answer? You're saying something by not saying something. It makes you wonder, right? I mean, if he knew or was, uh, pretty confident that the 
mask requirement on airplanes was going to expire in, uh, 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 what is it, a week or so, in a half or so, I mean, a week or so, that he would know that and he would be excited about it and be telling everybody, hey, the mask thing is, it, it's pretty much going away most places. We are going to make sure that it goes away on the airplanes. I am the transportation secretary after all, and, and that airplanes are my under my purview. So we are going to get rid of the masks on the airplane. But he didn't say that. He did not say that at all. I mean, you go back 30 seconds or 60 seconds and listen to that bite once again. Makes me think there's something he's saying in his non-answer. So I'm really interested to see what happens on that day because my return flight back to Denver is on March 18th, the day that it is supposed to expire. Uh, My guess had always been that it will be extended. The mask mandate on airplanes would be extended into the summer travel season. Um, And I think what their reasoning will be is that you are going from places of low risk to high risk and vice versa, and they want to control how the virus might be traveling on domestic airplanes. That's just my guess. But I guess we'll have to see what happens on uh, Friday, March 18th. And speaking of airports and traveling on airplanes, I wanted to revisit a disturbing story about a study that finds that the water on board most major airlines that is served to the passengers whether it's through the coffee that you're drinking or it's in the lavatory when you're washing your hands, is so unsafe that you shouldn't even wash your hands with it. This shocking discovery was made by Hunter College's Food Policy Center and DietDetective.com, who investigated the water quality of 23 different U.S. airlines. Joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Charles Platkin, He's the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center, and we want to talk more about this. Doctor, thank you so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Well, you're very welcome, and thanks for having me on, on the podcast. I appreciate it. So what made you want to test the water on airplanes? So, you know, we every year for the past 20 years, I've been doing an airline food study, and uh, it was, you know, Obviously, part of food service is coffee and tea, and I was posed the question about, you know, about drinking coffee, you know, and, and tea on an, on an aircraft, and I thought, oh, okay, let me start looking into this. I started looking into research, and I started seeing a few studies from, you know, uh, from about eight, eight, nine, ten years ago. One specifically was from the EPA that took water samples, and, and there were high levels of coliform which were, and, and, and some levels of E. coli. And I started delving into it, you know, in a much deeper way, and then found that, you know, and did it use the Freedom of Information Act to uh, go to the EPA and pull out all the violations for every single airline in the United States and every single aircraft in the United States that flies. And once we we took about seven months and crunched the numbers and try to understand, you know, what what the air, aircraft water safety, uh, the aircraft drinking water rule, which is the ADWR, what, 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 how it started and um, why it was implemented and so forth. So this EPA study that was done was the lead into the development of the aircraft drinking water rule. And it was really interesting because, you know, it started in 2012 
and it's been ongoing. And basically, it requires that every aircraft that flies in the U.S. file reports to the EPA. And I would say, you know, it, it varies on how often because there are different rules and regulations of how they have to do it. But basically, four times a year, they have to uh, comply and uh, test their water and um, and report it. So. Um, we crunched all the violations that were issued to the airlines and the specific aircrafts um, that belong to the airlines. And that's the result of where we got this information for, for this study. In a bit, I want to go through those comments that were made for the major airlines. But first, let's look at the good airlines and the bad airlines. What were some of the top performers? So it was Alaska uh, Airlines and Allegiant were the top spot with the safest water in the sky, and, and Hawaiian Airlines finished number two. Um, the two worst airlines were JetBlue and Spirit, um, and uh, they each got a score of one out of, out of, you know, with five being the highest and zero being the lowest. And, you know, it, it really concerned me because most of the airlines were below what I, what I thought was – uh, reasonable, which was a score of three, um, and and uh, most of the major airlines, you know, were were below that. With a score of three, if you look at that at a hundred point scale, I mean, that's basically a D grade, which is really really bad. It's a pretty it's 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 pretty bad. And, and that's for um, the best airline that you were testing. That's correct. And Piedmont, uh, which is a regional carrier, which is operated by American Eagle, uh, which American Airlines was the highest regional carrier with a score of 4.33 out of 5. And it was interesting because they beat the major airlines, um, you know, by almost a, a full point. However, regional airlines were horrific, really terrible in terms of their scores other than Piedmont. I am speaking with Dr. Charles Platkin. He's the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center about how dirty the water is on uh, airplanes you mentioned r regional airlines there's there's really not a lot of people that fly on those regional airlines like they do on delta american the bigger carriers or here in denver on united frontier and southwest that's correct exactly so so yeah there, there are not a lot of them and, and uh you know so so again when we looked at this we were we were surprised um, with the number of violations. And remember, this is just what's reported and where violations were issued. We don't really know the full extent of anything. We just know of, you know, out of all the violations that were issued and what they were for. And that's not, those are the numbers that we crunched from 2012 to August of 2019. So in this study, we're looking at the comments in the comment section for all the major airlines. You also do that for the regional airlines as well. So let's go through some of the comments that were written for the major airlines. So let's look at Alaska Air. What were the comments for why their water was so bad? So, you know, Alaska was actually okay. They had a very, number, a very low number of violations per aircraft. One of the other things that is important to note is that we did take into account the number of aircrafts that they had. Right, so we, we felt that that was important. They have 335 aircrafts in their fleet, so we felt that that was important to note. And part of our algorithm was taking that into account. So, um, and they, they received the highest score, and the airline had several several unrecorded violations for failure to collect and repeat 
follow-up sampling, which we thought was not great, meaning they, um, they collected, uh, they didn't collect data. So, you know, we always thought that that was a real negative and they kind of missed their uh, reporting requirements uh, required by the uh, ADWR. Um, I also want to step back one moment and add something that I think is pretty significant that uh, we, we kind of left out in the beginning, which is that the, the ADWR, the Aircraft Drinking Water Rule, does not require the same testing as the National Primary Drinking Water Regulations, right? And it's really important to understand that because the requirements in the air uh, for the water in the air, which is in the galley and in the lavatory, are very specific to the microorganism of coliform, which you know show high levels of coliform show uh, whether or not there's an indicator of E. coli. Now, there are many other microorganisms that most of us probably couldn't pronounce um, that are tested on regular drinking water that's on the ground. But because, and pun intended here, the ADWR is a watered-down version of the National Primary Drinking Water Regulation, it doesn't have that. It just has the uh, checking for coliform levels of, and, and, and then E. coli if, if, if there are high coliform levels. levels. So we, we really feel like that's a very a real disservice to, uh, to, you know, to people that are, that are, you know, are in the air and traveling and drinking coffee and tea on a regular basis. Um, and some, you know, for some people, traveling is, is their life. And I think that this is just something that um, there's no reason why uh, the same information shouldn't be required uh, on the ground as in the air. And additionally, um, this data that, we're, that is uh, being supplied is self-reported. The airlines take the samples themselves and send it to the lab. And the lab works for the airline, right? So they get the information back and you know, they can do a disinfecting and flushing and retest. I'm not saying that I know of any airlines that are doing that, but it's certainly possible and that would uh, limit their violations. Well, why wouldn't then the EPA want the uh, quality of the water on an airline be the same as it's coming out of my faucet at the house? You know, I think that their initial, I mean, there was a lot of pushback, right, by the, by the airline's uh, lobbying group, right? They felt that there's, there's enough regulation by the FAA that now, you know, the EPA and the FAA together um, and even the FDA are, are kind of, with, with the EPA being um, the one that has to kind of regulate this because it, it was all three agencies that were kind of involved and, you know, I guess this is just, you know, this was a negotiated uh, concept. Now, they might just say, well, the water is coming from the municipality that they're filling, you know, that they're filling up their tanks from this municipality, and there's very little risk of these other microorganisms being, you know, in the in the tanks or, or when they're transferred, so we don't need them. But I would argue, why why not just do it? I mean, you know, people are entitled to, uh, not have you know any microorganisms that could potentially make them sick in, in their in their coffee or their tea or when they're washing their hands. So you know, we would argue that it, unless you show us real evidence that you know this is not necessary, this is what should be required, and it shouldn't be self-reported data. It should be that the water is taken from there in the lab, kind of it's locked in once it's sent to the lab, and we try to get the EPA to give us any. Or, 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 or they would give us no information 
we we were more of an expert than most of the public uh, the public uh, spokespeople um, for the EPA, um, and we got literally nowhere um, with the EPA on any kinds of information. For instance, <clears throat> we talked about violations, and when you get a parking violation, what happens? You you pay a fine, correct? Right. Not that you would ever get a parking violation, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but if you if you get a parking, you, you have to pay a fine. Well. We couldn't find any penalties. We found a couple here and there, maybe like one thousand dollars, I think, to was the spirit. But we we asked the EPA, you know, to let us know about the penalties, and we we got literally uh, a very very nasty responses from the EPA. Uh, not surprising, but still surprising. I'm speaking with Dr. Charles Platkin, the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center. I still want to get back to in just a little bit yeah, some sorry, of the, some of the yeah. other no some of the other airlines. Yeah. However, it, it, there, I think there's a reasonable expectation by every American, no matter where they are in the country, that they're going to be able to tap uh, open up any tap whether it is at at Walmart or their house or the airport it, it, anywhere they're going, there's that reasonable expectation they're going to get clean water that is not going to make them sick. But it sounds exactly. like they don't have that expectation, nor does the EPA have that expectation on an airline. That is correct. And, 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 and you know, the thing that scares me is that, you know, <clears throat> San Francisco has eliminated plastic bottles from the airport. Now, someone's listening and saying, well, why does that scare them? That's fantastic. It is fantastic. But what scares me is that airlines, which are 100% profit motive, you know, have a 100% profit motive, they look at that and they go, you know what? We could save a fortune by not having bottled water that we serve our actual water from, not forget the coffee and tea, but our water is, you know, we can serve that from a gallon. We can save a fortune and we can promote it as if we're going green. So, you know, that would be terrible for the traveler if an airline decided to do that and they would get all this publicity that they're going green. But meanwhile, behind the scenes, their galley water is not really suitable, even though it's considered potable. It's not really, you know, um, fit in in many instances under the current system that's set up uh, to trust, right? So that's problematic. And that's all probably because of these holding tanks that aren't being cleaned well. They're probably not being drained well. And I, I, I consider myself a pretty decent cook and I, I am crazy about sanitation when I'm cooking and that includes anything around water because you have standing water you are going to have a problem with bacteria growth and and uh, mold and and anything around standing water and if you don't change it and dry it out and routinely clean it you are going to get bad things in there that you don't want in yourself right exactly and and I know you want to get to the airlines but I also want to make one other point that if you're flying a, a, uh, an aircraft that has filled up uh, their water in, in an outside, you know, outside of the United States, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what that municipality, uh, how their water is being tested because we don't know what those countries regulations are. I wonder if this is also the same for other, uh, I was just, it just crossed my mind because I take a lot of cruises is what is the safety for water in uh, on these cruise lines because they do refuel and they also restock in certain foreign countries where you don't know if the water is all that great. 
Yeah, and 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 I don't know that, but just knowing that you know, watching the news and seeing the you know uh, what appears to be, it feels like a regular occurrence of contamination on ships, and who knows why or how. And I don't usually see or hear uh, or read about the after effects of what the investigation found. I'm speaking with Dr. Charles Platkin. He's the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center. Let's look at some of the airlines that fly. Uh, some of the low. Let's let's start here. Denver is a huge hub for Frontier, Southwest, and United. So, what were some of the con, uh, comments for Frontier Airlines? Well, Fr- Frontier had a relatively high number of violations for failure to conduct routine monitoring, which again, <clears throat> that that makes me uncomfortable because it means that they're not they're getting a violation for not monitoring their water. So. Um, you know, and they they were very they weren't very cooperative in 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 answering some questions that we had for them, and um, we thought they did a pretty poor job. And you know, they have a two point six out of five on their water health score. Um, and again, you know, wh- whether you think this is okay or not, they had a total water samplings for the two thousand twelve to two thousand nineteen of you know four tested positive for E. coli. Well, you know, we, we feel it should be a zero testing for E. coli. We, we, we don't want any E. coli on a flight, and you're certainly an airline that has that. We, 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 we are suspicious of, even though it wasn't the highest of all the airlines, but they also have a small fleet size of only 91, so that, that's taken into account as well. And Southwest Airlines is billed as the fun and friendly airline where they have the, uh, the flight attendants always uh, it, being impromptu with their uh, safety demonstrations and, and trying to have a good time on the airline, but you won't have a good time if you are drinking their water that they store on board. Yeah, so, so they had, I mean, they had a minimum, you know, I think that they had two E. coli uh, from what I see, um, and, you know, they, they have a lot of aircrafts, so that, I mean, Two E. coli experiences. Again, we we think there should be none, um, but 122 uh, water samples tested positive for coliform. Um, and again, we we don't we don't suspect the airlines, but uh, we we criticize the system. So if they have 122 that of, of high levels of coliform, <clears throat> they then have to go back and retest for E. coli. So we don't know how many, uh, again, reports of E. coli there are. <coughs> Sorry. We don't know uh, how many E. coli were not reported, meaning they had high levels of coliform. They went back to retest, and then <coughs> they found uh, E. coli, and then they said, you know what, we'll just disinfect and flush, and then we'll retest after that and show that basically there was no E. coli. We don't know what they're doing that, but again, it's all self-regulated, and we have no idea, and we don't have transparency from the EPA. So, um, you know, we, we, we think that that's uh, serious, and they also have a number of violations, also for failure to conduct routine monitoring and failure to perform corrective measures that were required once there, once there were, were issues uh, related to their water. And United Airlines is terrible as well, right near the bottom at a score of 1.2 out of 5. So it's basically a 22% on your 100, uh, <laughs> let's say, question yeah. test that you everybody knows from school. That That is a solid F minus, minus, minus. Yeah, it's not a good score if you're uh, certainly in academia. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be happy with it. 
And I, you know, here, you know, they had three E. e coli, three positive tests, but they had high tests, uh, tests, tested positive in many instances for coliform. Um, and uh, you know, they do have a large fleet size, um, but we still think that the, you know, these major airlines um, that are carrying so many passengers, you know, every day have a high responsibility to uh, maintain the, the, the water quality on their aircraft. Um, they had a high number of violations for failure to conduct routine monitoring and failure to collect repeat or follow-up samples when there were high level of, of high levels of coliform. We find that you know atrocious. So if you have a high level of coliform and then you're not going back and testing if it has E. coli or testing once you do a disinfectant flush, then you know and you're you're failing to file. It just shows a lack of concern. So um, you know we, we we're concerned about that. And we also were very unhappy that United, you know, is associated with with the regional air carriers, Air Wisconsin, ExpressJet, and Trans uh, States Airlines, which are the regional which were had very very poor water records. My guest is Dr. Charles Platkin, the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center. You know what I think is is most disturbing, and I said it in my opening comments, is that. The, the water on these airplanes you found through this study is not even safe enough to wash your hands with. When I go into the lavatory there in the airplane, typically I'll go in, wash my hands when I'm done, and then I use that towel, I'll dry my hands, and I'll use that towel and, and wipe my forehead or wipe my face. So now I'm feeling really grossed out that I, one, washed my hands and then put that gross water with that stuff all over my face. Right. So now, again, I think it's important to, to, for, for listeners to really make sure they understand that we're not saying that every air, aircraft has E. coli on it uh, and, and, you know, it is, is unsanitary. What we are saying is that we, this is what we know and what we know we're not happy with, right? And we don't feel comfortable. So when you go and you're, you know, washing your hands, it's not like it, it, it's an E. coli soup when you're, you know, like, you know, but... Um, you know, I did this study, I'm very near and dear and close to it, and I would not wash my hands on a flight. Now, you, you know, um, according to the CDC and, and some, um, you know, infectious disease experts, they say it, it's okay if you use soap and water and then you use hand sanitizer after. Um, not for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm not okay with that. Um, so, and when I talk to some people in the airline industry, you know, uh, uh, regulatory officials, one of the things they said is that when they do have uh, high levels of coliform and potential E. coli, you know, in the lavatory, oftentimes, and to me this was disgusting, they thought it was, you know, fantastic to tell me this, but I thought it was disgusting, that oftentimes um, it, there's, uh, e. Coli, you know, e feces potentially on the fixtures. Oh, and that's what's... Yeah. <laughs> so on the on the on the sink, you know, um, you know, in the faucet. So and oftentimes they change the faucet, and the E. coli uh, problem, you know, goes away. Uh, you know, uh, that doesn't make me all excited, um, as maybe they do. So here's the here's the catch with with hand sanitizer. You know, again, the CDC is still recommending that you use soap and water, but with with <clears throat> hand sanitizer, which is my preference, it needs to be uh, sixty percent plus alcohol. And you need to use it just like you would wash your hands under your fingernails. You need to sort of like it needs to be all over your hands, and it needs to be used 
like you'd be washing your hands, and then you can't dry it off. It has to dry naturally, right? So sort of that's the catch with, um, you know, uh, with, you know, fighting E. coli with a hand sanitizing, uh, hand sanitizer. So uh, again, you know, the, the listener shouldn't sit there and go, oh, like this is, you know, we're lines, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a mess. Um, but again, you know, there's no acceptable level to e- of E. coli in an aircraft for me, and it shouldn't be for any of the listener. No, it's not definitely not for me either. You you mentioned to me that you were looking now at airline food. So, uh, can you give us a preview of of what that next study is going to entail? Yeah. So every year we we do an airline food study, um, and uh, we look we give a, a health ranking. Okay, um, a rating and a ranking for every single uh, well, not for the regional air carriers, but for the you know ten major air carriers. And, uh, and and we give them a score. We look at sodium levels. We look at um, <clears throat> we, we we look at the, the meals that they serve. If they're uh, you know high protein, if they have any nutritional value, and so forth. So we look at all those things, and we use a rubric uh, and an algorithm, and then we apply a health score again out of five out of five, a score of five as a total. Um, and we also look at you know the average meal calories, the average calories overall. Um, individual snack calories, and we comment and we give best bets for each um, for each air- airline. Uh, what they should, what people should be looking for, and what they should avoid. So, if somebody wants to find some more information about this, where do they go, and where can they see the full study? The full study is on you know it's, it's very simple. It's dietdetective.com, um, and you know it, it's a not we're, we're, the diet detective is a nonprofit. Um, we take no commercial funding whatsoever. It's all uh, funded uh, by individuals and mostly myself. And um, we, you know, we, we do this airline study and all the information there. There's probably over a thousand stories, millions of words of free content, all very, very heavily resourced over the last 20 years. Well, I know you tried to uh, calm me down a little bit by telling me that I shouldn't worry about the water too much, that it's not an E. coli soup, but that that still is not going to be an image I will be able to get out of my head uh, the next time I'm getting on an airplane. Yeah, everybody should mention it when they when every every time they walk on a flight, say, "Hey, can we get that?" And by the way, the the flight attendants and the pilots association, they're they don't they're pretty upset about this stuff too because they're drinking that coffee all the time and they don't really you know. I think that they would they they probably are starting to bring their own. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, you know, if I could put a cur egg on board, that's that's the way I would go. <laughs> no, where are you going to get the water from? Well, yeah. use the bottled water. Use the bottled water. There you go. <laughs> that's actually a good idea. <laughs> uh, Dr. Charles Blanken, the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Appreciate your time so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And again, that website is dietdetective.com. You can find the survey there and all the information right there and see uh, their recommendations and everything they talked about uh, that we basically talked about here in the interview. If you want to read some more about it, it's there again, dietdetective.com. Really disturbing stuff. I always bring my own water on an airplane. I, I, I never get the coffee. I don't think I've ever had coffee on an airplane. I either just drink my own water uh, or I'll get one of the canned sodas. As I think about it, I, they don't. They probably don't use that same water for the ice. They probably just get the bagged ice because um, I'm sure the ice would be fine. 
because you they put ice in your drinks, right? So, but maybe that canister that they put the ice in is also kind of dirty because that probably doesn't get clean. All right, great. Now I'm not going to be able to eat the ice. So now I'm going to have to have every drink on an airplane without the ice too, as I'm thinking about it. Great. Perfect. All right. You know, and sometimes I, I, I remember, I try to remember to tell my daughters, hey, don't, when you go into the bathroom, don't wash your hands. Remember the water is really bad. So don't wash your hands when you come out of the bathroom. We'll use a sanitizer. But, uh, but sometimes they have a hard time remembering that because they're used to washing their hands after they go to the bathroom. So uh, uh, then when they get back to the seat, I ask them if they wash their hands. Yes. Well, all right. Now I'm going to have to dunk you in hand sanitizer. <laughs> all right. Well, just, a, but at least we're, at least we're safe in so many other ways. Right. Well, I guess I'll let you know how the, uh, the trip went, the travel went, uh, when I get back for next time. Uh, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that, you could always shoot me a link or uh, call the number there in the description of this fine show. You will also find links to that uh, water, uh, bad water on planes, planes study, as well as the link to the diet detective uh, in the description of this show. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for being here. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.